You are listening to the 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's word and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church. While you're there, download our mobile app. It's a lot of great resources on there. There's an awesome online community that you can be a part of. And if you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications. We certainly don't want you to miss anything as we continue through Matthew chapter 12. And uh, as we start today, we are in the midst of somewhat of a scrum between the Pharisees and Jesus, which is becoming pretty commonplace. We're at that point in the Gospel of Matthew where the religious leaders are really starting to ratchet up their persecution and all the accusations against Jesus. Uh, Most recently in this chapter, they say Jesus is casting out demons with the use of demons and Jesus about had enough. And he says, you know what? You are in danger of what is known as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They were denying that God's spirit could dwell inside of someone. And ultimately, by doing that, denying uh, the ability to be born again, denying the possibility of that and then denying it for themselves. Obviously, Jesus wants all to come unto him. He wants to change all of us from the inside out. And it's important for us to remember that in this world, that there's not any sect of people that God does not want to turn their hearts to him. And sometimes we like to pick and choose who uh, we are excited about getting saved. But I, me personally, I want to see everybody in this world, regardless of any characteristic or culture, right? Uh, You know, we have our predisposed biases sometimes. God doesn't have that, okay? And and being able to recognize that is so, so important. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees that basically, look, out of the abundance of your heart is your mouth speaks. And you are talking pretty bad stuff right now. Okay. And how do we apply it to our lives? Okay. Our words matter. What we say matters. Life and death is in our tongue. We could speak life over a situation or we could speak negativity and death in a situation. And because we are created in the image of God, what we say manifests in our life. A lot of times what you have going on around you is the result of things that you have spoken into existence, right? So what did we say yesterday? If every word you speak is a seed that you want to sow, only sow what you want to grow, only speak what you want to happen in your life. Amen. So now we see a shift in the attitude and it's not a real shift. It's a fake shift. It's, uh, it's a, a attempt to deceive Jesus uh, and make them seem like they're interested but we know that they are not. And if we know it, Jesus definitely knew it. And now the Pharisees begin asking Jesus for a sign. And that's where we start with verse 38 here. Okay. After all these accusations of what he's doing on the Sabbath, what he's not doing, what he's doing wrong, uh, you know, what is, how he's casting out demons. uh, They say, all right, okay, teacher. Now they call him a teacher again. 
Verse 38, then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Sure you do. Okay. All right. So now basically what they're saying, perform for me, Jesus, or prove it, prove it. Now, Jesus had been going throughout the countryside and I don't know what else they wanted to see. They saw lepers healed. They saw the dead raised. They saw countless miracles, which we've studied so far. So we can really deduce from all of this. They don't want to see another sign. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to cheapen himself and become a circus, circus act for him. And you, and that may get you mad. Gets me mad. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes even without meaning to do it, maybe without uh, a deception in our hearts, we can sometimes ask God to perform for us. We go through a period of less than perfect faith. And then we need God. And we say, all right, God, you know, we treat him somewhat like a fire extinguisher, right? In case of emergency, break glass, not the best way to approach God. Okay. So let's continue reading. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there, uh, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now we know we're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection here, but let's dive a little bit deeper. He comes around, he says, verse 41, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. Huh, that's pretty powerful words. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. I'm going to point to verse 41 and 42 first, and then we're going to kind of jump back a little bit here. But Jesus goes right in and he points to what? The people of Nineveh and the queen of the south. Well, why does he do that? Well, in the Old Testament, right, in for them, for, it's the Old Testament for us because we walk around with a, with a Bible, right? Um, they did not have that. They had scrolls and scriptures and, you know, they knew their history. Well, he, Jesus points to Nineveh. We know the story between, of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't think God should, you know, save the Ninevites, or spare the Ninevites of destruction, but he goes and he begrudgingly preaches a word to them and Nineveh changes its heart and direction. Okay. Not again, non-Jewish believers, not in the lineage of Abraham, not God's people at that time, yet they heard the word of God and they changed their hearts. Now the queen of the South goes back to the times of Solomon. Won't get too far into it just because of time today, but basically we're talking about another ruler, another nation that turned their heart to Yahweh, our God, the true God, the only God, that, and they were not of the bloodline. They were not, quote unquote, God's people. So Jesus is pointing, which is an insult to them, 
uh, but it's the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts that here they are, the scribes and the scholars of that time with the Messiah in front of them, and they refuse to believe. Not only do they refuse to believe, it'd be one thing to say, eh, I'm not interested in that, or I don't believe it, or, or, you know, here's why I don't believe it, have some civil conversation, but they're constantly trying to trap Jesus, trying to persecute him, prosecute him, and, and accuse him of evil doing, okay? They're going all in to try to destroy Jesus, okay? Really bad stuff. So Jesus points to non-Jews, Gentiles, and says, you know what? At the day of judgment, they'll be standing up and condemning you because they heard the word and changed their heart. I think about to the centurion, we go back a couple of chapters where he said, Lord, I'm not worthy. My house is not worthy to receive you. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says something to the tune of, I've never seen this type of faith. So we see that Jesus is pointing out, right? But between his dealings with the Samaritan woman, he's pointing to the Gentiles and saying, look, look at how they, they are drawn to the truth. And what he's doing is laying the foundation of what? The mystery of the kingdom of God. It's not a mystery to us anymore, but it's that the covenant between man and God would not be with one bloodline, with one nation of people. And it would be with who? Everybody. Everybody. Again, sometimes we don't want to believe that. Everybody. The segments of the population that you struggle to love, God loves them just as much as they love you. And if we go back, we see the way Jesus answers in 39. He calls them a wicked and adulterous generation. He says a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Wicked, adulterous. What do you mean by adulterous? Well, God always associates his covenants with us very similar to the covenant of marriage, right? A covenant of marriage is absolute loyalty to one another. Okay. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Okay. So Israel, the same. If you go back to Jeremiah 3, 8, God says through the prophet, because of your adulteries, I write you a certificate of divorce. Israel, over and over again, would turn to God, turn from God, would worship God, do well, and then go and worship other gods of the nations around them. Be very unfaithful. And because of that, not only that, but God would send them prophets and then they would kill the prophets. Okay. And again, we could sit there and be like, I can't believe that. Well, a lot of times God is sending us messages and we're trying to kill the messages too, because they don't line up with what we want with our life. And that's the struggle that we have every single day right? I call it struggle because I think Paul even put it that way. He says, my flesh wants to do one thing, but my spirit wants to do another. So they're kind of fighting one another. And we realize that we have that inner turmoil as well. So in Jeremiah, we see that God writes a certificate of divorce to Israel, saying that there will be a new covenant. 
in Hebrews uh, chapter 8, Paul writes, or whoever wrote it, you know, some people say uh, it's, it's debated on Paul. I lean toward Paul. But basically, the new covenant is here. The old covenant is going away. We have to remember, again, in that first century, there is a transition going on from old covenant to new covenant. Very, very important because that's how we understand the implementation of the kingdom of God and what is actually going on. But again, they're trying to trap Jesus here. They're trying to get him to cheapen who he was. And the bottom line is, is they don't really want to believe. They don't want to sign. They just want to trap Jesus and cheapen him. And they've already seen tons and tons of signs. And they're wanting again, perform for me. Jesus could have just, there's so many things that Jesus could have done. And I tell you what, a lot of times when I'm speaking to non-believers and they say, well, I, I don't believe in God. I want proof. I ask him, all right, well, what proof do you want? Like, it, how can God prove himself to you? I entertain the question. And a lot of times they, they don't have an answer for that. Like, what, what type of evidence do you need? Well, I don't know. Because they don't want evidence. That's why I love the question that Frank Turek post, puts out there uh, and other apolog apologists. It's, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? <laughs> because if somebody says no to that, you know they're really not interested in in the in the truth, right? Um, so another thing that I hear a lot is why doesn't come, God come down and fix everything? Why is all this stuff happening? Well, I got news for you. That is Christianity. God came down and fixed everything. Made a way to fix everything. What you see going on in the Middle East right now can be fixed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel. If both sides going on there right now, and we pray for peace in that region, but if they all accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ in their hearts, they would not kill anyone. Does that make sense? So why doesn't God come down and fix everything? He did. Does he have to come down every single generation and, and, and maintain it and, and prove himself to humanity? No, of course he does not have to do that. But you know what he did do, which we'll read when we get to the book of Acts? He indwelled every believer with the same spirit. So now you know who's Jesus on this earth? How Jesus operates on this earth? Every generation through me. And through you. That's why we say we come together, we study for the 1%, and then we go out and what? Be as close to Jesus as we possibly can in word, deed, action. Because we have the opportunity to change this world around us. You're going to be around people today that need Jesus. And you could be that light to them. Amen? So he, basically, Jesus tells them, as we close here, he tells them, here's your sign. Here's the sign that I'm going to give you. Just like the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there three days and three nights. He tells them, you know what? You want a sign? Well, hold on to your hat, buddy. 
because I'm going to be put in the ground and I'm going to come right back. You can't kill what's inside of me. And that the resurrection is the absolute cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. But what I'm saying is the, the resurrection is what all of us can hang our hat on. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, watch football on Sunday, okay? But there is great historical evidence, which we will get into maybe in a, a teaching by itself, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, you want a sign? Just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, you're going to put me in the ground and I'm going to come right back. I'm going to fulfill what I came to fulfill. And I'll leave you with this thought. Stop trying to perform for people that don't want you to succeed anyway. Pursue God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And you know what? Let God resurrect the areas of your life that have been dead and let people watch as God changes you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. We read that back in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and what? Everything else will be added to your life. And there's people right now that don't want you to succeed, don't believe you can succeed. But if you let God work in and through you, what's going to happen? They're going to see the resurrection in your life. And then some of them, some of them, not all of them, some of them are going to believe. But that's up to them. I'd, and whether or not people believe in me, I could care less. I want them to believe in God. Amen. So let's pray as we head out. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection power. Father, if there's ever any point in our life where we just want you to perform for us, and we just want to repent for that right now. We believe you. Say, God, I believe in you. Say, Jesus, I trust in you. And thank you that your miraculous power is real in our life. Help us to pursue you every day. And unlike some, unlike the Pharisees, we believe and we want our faith to grow. And the word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's what we look to do every single day. But we also want to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. So help us to make today awesome by blessing this world with your light. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out, soh.church. And uh, we're getting to the end of Matthew chapter 12 here. Uh, we've got probably about two more days in this, and then we're heading to the parables of Jesus. I'm enjoying this every day with you. I love you guys, and I will see you tomorrow.